And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver as gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. My name is Albert. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to make introductions and say hello. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. Let me just open us up in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would be here with us today, especially for those, Lord, that don't have a relationship with you. May you soften their hearts and open their minds as to how much you love them. I pray, God, that those that are far from you now are not as close to you as they once were, that you would draw them back, that they would repent of whatever's going on in their life, that they would accept your love for them as it is gracious and you're full of forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be taking a look at uh, citizenship this morning, a heavenly citizenship. And as a backdrop to that uh, topic, let's look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through 21. And this is what it reads. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have not often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's also look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 as Kind of a backdrop to 1 Peter 1 here. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. We find this idea of heavenly citizenship in Paul's writings in the two sections of Scripture that we just read, and we also find this in Peter's writing this morning. Peter uses this term sojourner or exile here. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he writes, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Paul and Peter, they remind us that the earthly dwelling we find ourselves in right now are temporary. We're here just for a moment, aren't we? I mean, what are we here for? 70, 80 years? Something like that. I mean, it's so fast. I mean, I'm halfway there. I know I don't look it, but I am. 
And seriously, go talk to somebody 40 years or older and ask them if they think that time has flown by. Ask them. And I don't think you're going to find anyone who will say, man, my life has just gone so slow. I can't believe how long I've lived. My kids, they just grew up so slow. I know you guys feel this if you have teenagers, but babies, you know, life goes by really, really fast. And I don't think that you're going to find anyone sane, that is, who will say that their life has gone by really slow. Thank God our citizenship is not here. It is so brief here. Rather, our citizenship is in heaven. And what this is here, while we're here, is a training ground. This is a training ground for reigning. That God is training us to reign. And here we are, verse 17, and it says, And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each other's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Exile meaning a sojourning, a dwelling in a strange land. Now, this doesn't mean that we ignore all of our responsibilities here. It doesn't mean that we have an, a mentality of escapism and we just run from things. Actually, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. We are to occupy our time while we are here. We're not to flee it. We're not to escape it. We're not to run away from it. It's just that we realize that we're exiles here and we're servants while we are here. So we are earthly present with a heavenly mindset. That's what we are. You know, when I was growing up, most of my relatives on my mom's side, they had green cards. I don't know how many of you know what green cards are. Do I have to explain green cards? I was going to just say, go watch a Cheech and Chong born in East L.A. video. But, um, <laughs> because they were Chinese Mexicans. That's where my mom's side of the family's from. We're from Mexico. Mexico, that's us. And they were foreigners of the United States, but they legally resided, they legally worked here in the United States, but they didn't have U.S. citizenship. So I remember going to the border crossings all the time, and they had their green card, and all I had to say is, American citizen. Take <laughs> you guys take your time showing them their green cards. But that's kind of like us, right? It's kind of like us. You're all Chinese Mexicans. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we reside here on earth. We reside here, but our citizenship is in heaven. And how do you differentiate between someone who holds a green card and one who doesn't, who's living here? How do you differentiate between a follower of Jesus who holds a green card to earth, but has citizenship in heaven? How do we find out if we do indeed have the mindset that this is a temporary place for us and heaven is where our eternal citizenship lies? And so that's what we're going to be looking at in today's text. We find the first proof that we are exiles in this world with an eternal citizenship in heaven when we conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time we are here on this earth. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. It says, if you call on God. If you, Christian, call on God, you need to know this. You call on God who judges impartially. So how we live, he will judge that. You and I, even though we are his children, we don't get a pass on how we live. 
Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If you're an heir, just know that God judges impartially, even though you're his kid. He doesn't play favorites, because sin is sin, and he will judge. Therefore, conduct yourselves with fear as long as you're here on this earth, right? Your time of exile, here. Now, the word fear, it tends to have this negative connotation for us in our culture. And I can totally see how we would get that. But let's try to shelve that negative connotation up for just a moment. Because the word fear here has this reverence attached to it. It has a respect attached to it, which is another word that has lost meaning in our society because I don't think we revere very much anymore. It doesn't seem that parents, teachers, or any other authority figure type of person is revered anymore. And I've found that there is an attitude of irreverence. I'm going to use my daughter's school as an example. The kids there always want to know your name. They always want to know your name. And so last year, I volunteered at their school for lunch and recess once a week on Monday. My schedule on Monday was I drop my kids off at school. I walk across the street to the cafe. I do my sermon prep there. And then around lunchtime, I go back to the school. I do their lunch, and then I do their recess. I go back to the cafe, do my sermon prep, pick up my kids, take them back, drop them off at home, and then I finish up for the night on my sermon prep. And in the beginning of the year, the kids would always ask, What's your name? What's your name? So I tell them, my name's Mr. Lee, or Sir. <laughs> and then the other kids would shout, you can call him Master. And I was like, true, you can call me Master. You can call me Master. Because this is the background. It's not like I said, you Master. I was their first PE teacher. And so my kids go to a Chinese immersion school. So I was like, PE, instead of jumping jacks, I'm going to teach you Kung Fu. So I taught them Kung Fu. So the first generation of those kids that were in my Kung Fu class, some of them still call me Master. So that's it. Mr. Lee, Sir, or Master. That's it. And if a kid called me by my first name, because they'd sometimes hear me talking to their parents or a teacher that was talking to me, I'd ignore them until they addressed me the way that I asked them to. Now some of you may be thinking, man, that guy's old-fashioned. Like, come on, who are you, Master? Come on, who are you? But get this, guess which adult gets the most problem children on field trips? Without fail, Mr. Lee, sir, or master does. Me. So think all you want about old-fashioned or whatever, but they know who to send those behaviorally challenged children to. <laughs> it's always me. But who has the most well-behaved kids on the trip? Who has the most fun on the trip? That's right, master does. <laughs> and I think it's because of this. It's because of reverence. It's because of respect. They have that with me. So if your kids call me Albert here and I don't respond, it's not because I dislike your children. It's not because I hate your children. I'm ignoring them. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. And they can call me Mr. Lee, Sir, 
If they're in our Taekwondo program, they can call me master, or they can call me master anyway, I don't care. Or they can call me pastor. But if they call me by my first name, I'm ignoring them. I don't hate them. I'm not disliking them. I'm ignoring them. Anyway, the Lord said to Moses, Leviticus chapter 19, verses 2 and 3, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And this holiness we talked about last week, apartness, right? How is this going to be conveyed? Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Is it any surprise that reverence for God is lacking in our society today? Because are we following that? Reverence for God's word, which instructs that there's to be reverence for mother and father, I think is lacking today. And I've noticed in my working with kids in the neighborhood in our martial arts program and outreach that the kids with the least reverence for their parents, they have a really tough time with other authority figures in their life because that irreverence, it just kind of bleeds into all the other relationships that they have with teachers, law enforcement, anybody else, instructors in the martial arts academy that we have there. It all bleeds into the relationships. Do you think that it bleeds into the relationships with God too? And you know what? I see it in adults too. Adults who have a hard time with reverence with their parents, I see that they have a difficult time revering God as well. I see the parallels. This fear of God that is spoken in 1 Peter is about a reverent fear, a respectful fear. It's a fear that isn't meant to scare you away. It's a fear that's meant to draw you into the reality of a loving relationship with God. I fear my wife. Have you seen her? She instills fear in me. And it's not because she can do anything to me emotionally or physically or mentally. It's not that she can do any of that stuff to me. My fear is reverent. My fear is respectful in that I don't want to do anything to hurt her. I don't want to do anything that will cause a disconnection in our love or interrupt our connection to one another. And it's just like God. It's a respectful, it's a reverent fear. And it's not that I fear that he's going to punish me. Oh, man, I'm going to do this. God's going to spank me. That's not what I'm afraid of. I want to keep our relationship good. I don't want that to be harm. The psalmist wrote in Psalm chapter 111, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This fear is a characteristic of a Christian, an exile. Another characteristic of an exile whose citizenship is in heaven is that they know that they've been ransomed. We know we were redeemed with a hefty price. Our salvation to be born again was costly. Now, what were we ransomed from? Verse 18, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Now, a couple of weeks back, when we were looking at verse 4, we talked about inheritance, that it's just something passed on from one generation to the succeeding generation, and it's not because you earned it or deserved it, but it's simply because you're an heir. And the futile ways of life, the sin nature in us inherited from our forefathers, that kind of comes along with it. The Greek definition of the word futile is this. 
devoid of truth, of force, of success and result, useless, of no purpose. Our respective forefathers may have passed a lot of things to us, but ultimately, God had to redeem us from that futile way of life. And without God, life is devoid of truth. And without God filling that void, we will fill it with other things. Whatever that may be, we'll fill it with other things we want so that we can feel successful, we can feel useful, we can feel purposeful. And some of the things we do fill it with, they can be good, but other things not so good. Without God... Ultimately, what we filled our voids with, they are useless. They are of no purpose if God's not in it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So we know that we've been ransomed, that life is futile without God, but with God we can live a life of truth, usefulness, and purpose. What were we ransomed with? Verse 18, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Our ransom was not something we could pay for or something that we could earn. Our ransom is something that can only be received by grace through faith in Jesus Christ from God. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now, if you're not familiar with why the precious blood of Christ was necessary for the redemption of our sins, or if you are wondering what this lamb without a blemish or spot is all about, I don't have time to go through all of it, but I want to refer you to a few passages so that you can study this on your own. And if you have more questions about it later, I'm more than happy to talk with you about this stuff. But the first reference is in the Gospel of John. I highly recommend that you read the Gospel of John. But I'm just going to pull out one verse from there. Chapter 1, verse 29, where John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, the backdrop to John's gospel and him saying that is actually back in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. Back in the book of Leviticus, you can read that one too. It might be a little more difficult to read, but you can read that one too. There is what is called a day of atonement, where a lamb without blemish or spot was sacrificed for sin. But this sacrifice was done annually. Now, what if a sacrifice could be just done once and for all? You didn't have to do it over and over again. It's eternally sufficient forever. And that's Jesus, the Lamb of God, whom John the Baptist spoke of, who shed his blood for our sins. Now, when people say that religions are all the same, they're not. They don't know religions well enough. Because this is an exclusive claim by God in Christianity. It's the exclusive claim of Jesus. No one else could do what he did for us. The Lamb of God, without blemish, without spot, sinless, Jesus, died for us because we are sinful. And this redemptive plan of God is where Christians get the term born again, which we will get to in verse 23. And because we are born again, knowing that we are exiles, it changes our worldview, what we do, how we think, 
how we live will be different from those who don't have this exilic mindset that we are exiles, that our citizenship is in heaven because of what Jesus did for us. Verse 20, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Before creation, there was the Trinity, right? God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. And it was this Trinitarian plan to give us free will, freedom, knowing that that freedom granted to us would also give us the freedom to rebel. And rather than God saying, never mind, forget it, forget it, let's not do this, guys. He created us, knowing that he would have to send his only son to this world to redeem us. You see his love for us? You see how he pursues us, knowing that we're going to rebel? See, he knew we would sin. He knew that we would be separated from him because of our rebellion. So the plan... I love them, I'm going to create them, and I'm going to pay for their mistakes. I'll pay that ransom. And those who recognize this know that we're exiles, and as exiles, one, we have a respectful, reverent fear of God. Two, we know he has paid our ransom by Jesus' death on the cross. And thirdly, we actively believe in God. Verse 21, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now, when we say in God, it's not that we're just theists. We believe in God. Peter wrote, through him, Jesus, we are believers in God. The English translation here is missing it a little bit because this is an active belief. It's more than just believing in God, kind of like in your mind. It's an active approach. So a way that this can be translated is, Believing into God. Believing into God. That through Jesus, we are believers into God. We are into God. Right? That's, he's not just some idea way out there. I mean, we're, we're tight. We're tight. And we have an intimate relationship. The futile ways of our past, they're behind us. And we're looking ahead to living like Jesus. Transformation is happening because we realize where our true citizenship is. And you know what? That Trinitarian powwow before creation, the plan worked. The plan worked. Jesus' sacrifice worked. It paid the ransom and God raised Jesus from the dead and gave him glory. And notice this, your faith and hope are in God, not a God. In God. The God who paid the ransom, Jesus. Those who follow Jesus are exiles of this earth and we have a respectful, reverential fear of God. We know he has paid our ransom by Jesus' death on the cross. We have an active belief in God. And fourthly, we practice obedience of the truth. Verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. How do you know you are a true follower of Jesus. How do you know? You obey the truth. The Bible, the Word of God, isn't just read like other books. To the follower of Jesus, this is truth to be lived out so that it's more than words. This is something that we practice. 
And there are a ton of people who hear the Word of God, who even know the Word of God, but they don't practice the Word of God. See, actions need to accompany what we hear and what we know. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. It's not that you just know the truth. It's by your obedience to the truth. Again, this is active. It's an active belief. It's an active obedience. So when someone claims to be a Christian, what do they mean? Is it a biblical definition or is it just, yeah, I'm a Christian? Do they view themselves as exiles who have a respectful, reverential fear of God? Do they know God paid our ransom by Jesus' death on the cross? Do they actively believe in God? Do they practice obedience to the truth? And if those things are not present in someone who says they are a Christian, they probably aren't. They probably aren't. And they might go to church. They might celebrate Christmas and Easter. They might get baptized. They might do other Christian things. But if those things are not present in someone who claims that they are a Christian, they're probably not. When someone is touched by the Gospel, touched by the Holy Spirit, they can receive forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus, and they can receive the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life. And this decision determines the rest of one's life. The decisions we make today affect our future. That decision that you made in your past, it has an effect of your life today and into your future, right? The career path that you took, the person you decide to date, the person you decide to marry, when you decide to have children, all these things change your future. And I think about this sometimes. I think back to those pivotal moments where my life could have gone really different. I think back to middle school when I was uh, going to be jumped into a gang. If I just decided to do that instead of go with my babysitter into her car. These older guys are recruiting younger guys so that we can do the trafficking of things for them. I think about the first time a girl approached me for sex in seventh grade, how things could have gone different. I think about the friends who, who wanted me to run guns with them, small arms in high school, and if I did that with them. Whether or not to join the military, because that was a thought when I got out of high school. And if I did that, then you know things would be different. Or choosing a different college than the one that I went to. Or whether I would marry that girl in college or not. See, all these things, working for that company, you know, all these things, different things that would have changed the direction of my life. The past affects your present and your future. And I'm not saying that those decisions would have been good or bad. I'm just saying they would have been different. See, you all have those kind of decisive moments in your life, those pivotal moments in your life, and you all know that I'm not talking simply about just like flavors of ice cream when you go to EC or something like that, right? Sometimes it's very crucial, though. but other, most of the time. I'm talking about decisions that change the trajectory of your life. Making decisions that affect the rest of your life, such as making a decision to follow Jesus. It's one of those things. And you're given the opportunity to make that decision this morning. It's a decision that will affect your entire life while you're on this earth and after. 
you all know that this isn't our permanent home. Even if you don't have the same worldview as a Christian, you know that this is not permanent because once you die, if you believe that, you're just dead and you just return back to biological matter, organic matter, and then that's it. So regardless of what you think, this is not a permanent home. Now let's continue on to read what Peter writes as characteristics of a Christian. Verses 22 and 23. This is the fifth one. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. It says, from a pure heart. This is a love that is undisguised, sincere, genuine. It's a real love. Love that realizes that we're not perfect. And how do we love people beyond those imperfections? How do we love people like that? And by our obedience to the truth, it's not so much physical or emotional love as it is obedience to God. Realizing we're exiles in this world and we're Christians who have a respectful, reverential fear of God, know He has paid our ransom by Jesus' death on the cross, actively believe in God, practice obedience to the truth, have love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And lastly, this is the last one, it's the sixth one from our text this morning. We rely and trust in the word of the Lord. Verses 24 and 25. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. See, many people believe they're indestructible. Especially males under 35. Right? And if you have that mindset, you're a male and you're under 35, don't worry, you will find out soon enough as you inch towards 40. And many people, they want to be immortalized. right? They want to make a difference in this world and they want to leave a print on this world. And so they think about athletics and they think about celebrity and they think about music and art and all these things that, hey, I can live forever. And you know what? I wish you well in those endeavors because I want you to tithe when you make it. So, no, never. <laughs> it eventually fades away, right? It all eventually fades away. Some take longer than others to fade away, but others, they're just forgotten. But the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Is your citizenship in heaven this morning? Is it? And you can go out this door with that citizenship today without any birth certificate, without filling out any paperwork, no exams, no nothing. Just Faith in Jesus that he died for all of your sins so that you can have a relationship with God. And if you believe that in faith, your life will be transformed. I don't know about immediately. Sometimes it happens for some immediately. Sometimes it's a process for some. And your worldview will be changed so that you know this is not all there is to life. That this is a temporary place and you have eternity ahead of you. And if you profess to be a Christian... Last time I'll go over this list, so this is the last time you'll be able to write it down. Do you have the mindset of an exile, knowing that this place is temporary? Do you have a respectful, reverential fear of God? Do you know that he paid our ransom by Jesus' death on the cross? Third, do you actively believe in God? And fourth, do you practice obedience to the truth? 
Fifth, do you love one another earnestly from a pure heart? And lastly, do you rely and trust in the word of the Lord? Now for all of us, it's time to take an honest look at our faith in Jesus before we take communion with one another. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, and this is a very sobering, sobering thought. And these are sobering words from Jesus, starting in verse 21, Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Let that sink in for a little bit. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's time to be brutally honest with yourself. The decision you make for Jesus today affects the rest of your life. And if you've been loose on any of those six points today, it's time to tighten up that loose thinking. Just like we talked about last week, about tightening up that thinking, right? First Peter chapter 1, verses 13 through 16. Let me leave this thought with you, and this is what we talked about last week, so if you want to listen to that, it's on iTunes. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that what Peter laid out in those six characteristics of an exile, of a follower of Jesus who realizes that they're in exile, I pray, Lord, that every person in this church would be able to honestly look at those things and choose, decide how they're going to live. I pray, Lord, for those who struggle, those who aren't sure how to go about it. I pray your Holy Spirit, Lord, would touch them in such a way that they would take steps, courageous steps, for transformation to happen in their life. I pray, Lord, that they would meet the right folks in community that support them and encourage them to live a holy life, a life that is apart from the world. In Jesus' name, amen.